that a great service? Oh, it sure was. All those testimonies about Ronnie were very interesting. I didn't know that he had gone to clown school. Clown school? Where did you hear that? Well, isn't that what his brother from Ohio talked about when he was a teenager? Well, I don't remember that. I do remember him talking about the high school basketball games right. and his family's tradition at Christmas time to give gifts to a needy family every year. Yeah, and then he talked about how Ronnie got the job in the local grocery store working in the produce section. Right, and, and that manager that taught him how to juggle the apples to entertain the customers. And then he went to clown school. No, then he talked about Ronnie's mission trip to Africa. Maybe you should get your hearing checked. There was no mention of clown school. However, there was quite a bit about his work for the Lord. That Africa trip really changed his life. Boy, I'll say, he had such a heart for those in need. I worked with him on several church projects, reaching out to the others in the community that needed help. So did I. And I tell you, that engineering degree of his really came in handy. We went out to the reservation, we dug some wells, installed water pumps for their farms. That engineering degree was a real thing? I thought that was a joke. I mean, you don't get an engineering degree from a clown university. That's right. He got his degree at Brown University. <laughs> you know, Heaven really welcomed in a saint of a man this week. Do you think he's in heaven right now? Or maybe purgatory? Or soul sleep? I'm pretty sure that the promise of paradise that Jesus gave to the thief on the cross was about heaven. Well, our loss is heaven's gain. Yeah. I guess. What? Oh, don't get me wrong. I mean, Ronnie was a great guy and all, but honestly, I have a hard time thinking about heaven. I mean, there are some people of faith who believe that when we die, we just cease to exist. And I'm told that the Old Testament Jewish faith, they didn't even have a concept of heaven at all. And shouldn't we be living our lives in the here and now, rather than thinking about some perfect hereafter? I don't know about heaven. I mean, is there even any evidence that heaven really does exist? Well, I, I think the evidence for heaven is greater than the evidence that Ronnie went to clown school. <laughs> but you do raise some interesting questions. Speaking of heaven, does it really exist? So what happens when you die? What's really in store for us once this life is over, if anything? You know, this is a topic that, a question that I think many of us have thought at one point or another in our lives, haven't we? Oftentimes when we're at a funeral or memorial service and we're kind of thinking about some uncomfortable subjects such as what's the life going to be like for us when we are gone from this earth? And it's not a topic that we tend to talk about too much either, is it? Because it's kind of an uncomfortable subject. It's kind of a creepy subject for, to be thinking about. I mean, what's it going to be like to die? What's it going to be like after we leave this earth? Will there even be life after this earth? 
Yet I think there's a pretty high, I think it's pretty important that we talk about because there's a pretty high probability that we're all going to experience it at one point or another, right? Sooner or later, it's going to happen. You know, there was a woman by the name of Mary Neal, Dr. Mary Neal, who kind of felt the same way. She wasn't really comfortable dealing with the topic of death, at least at first. But then 1999 came, and she was on a kayak trip on a river in Chile when her life completely changed. She was kayaking on this river one day with her husband, and they were across. They were they got into a, an area of fairly high current, and they were getting ready to go over this waterfall. And as they went over the waterfall, her kayak, the tip of her top of her kayak, caught on a boulder just as it went over, and her body and her boat were completely submerged by several feet of water. In that moment. Dr. Mary Neal describes that, um, she, she, she said, at that point, I completely surrendered the outcome to God's will. At that moment, I asked that God's will be done. I was immediately and very physically held by Christ and reassured that everything would be fine. At that point, as, she, as everything kind of stopped for her, that people started frantically trying to reach her. They were trying to, to rescue her. Several minutes went by, half an hour, she was under all these feet of water before they were finally able to drag her body and the boat out. And they brought her on to shore. What's, mirac- what's, what's truly miraculous about this whole story is that Mary Neal actually survived. Half an hour after she drowned, they were able to revive her on the riverbank. During that half an hour, Dr. Neal says that she went to heaven. She said that during that experience that she's never felt more alive and that that experience was more real to her, that 30 minutes that she was away from her body, that she was with, in heaven, that that experience was more real to her than anything before or since in her life. After her life returned somewhat to normal, Dr. Neal spent months trying to understand what had happened to her and researching, trying to explain, or really for her, she was really trying to explain away what had happened. You see, Dr. Mary Neal, although she was a woman of faith, she was also a woman of of science and medicine. She was an orthopedic spine surgeon, still is to this day here in the States. She described herself for years as a concrete thinker and didn't go toward things that are fanciful. And she said, I certainly have never been someone to exaggerate. So the idea of her going to heaven for 30 minutes was a little bit hard for her to swallow. But she said that when she drowned, that she saw her body underwater for a moment as she, went, as she came out of her body before she found herself in heaven. And she said in that moment as she was in heaven, she remembers God giving, showing her a review of her life and showing her the ways that her life had impacted others that she hadn't even realized up until that point. How this, the decisions that she had made and the lives that she had touched had changed people's lives forever. Today, with the advancements that we have had in medicine, many people have come back with experiences like this, where they've shared, and maybe you know some people yourself, one out of every 25 people in America today say they have had some sort of near-death experience like this. We're going to be sharing some of these stories with you through this series in the next few weeks. And while Mary's story is really fascinating, at Grace, let me just kind of start this, this morning by saying that we trust Scripture as our authority when it comes to understanding what life is like after we leave this earth. And thankfully, the Bible is remarkably clear when it comes to explaining what happens 
after we leave our physical bodies here on earth. So I want to encourage you to turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to spend some time in that chapter today and understanding what uh, life is like after we die. What we're going to see today is that while our lives do tend to stop when our bodies do, I'm sorry, while our lives don't tend to stop when our bodies do, what happens when we die depends on what happens to us before we die. And I'll explain that in just a moment. But as you're turning to 2 Corinthians 5, let me just pray for us a moment once more. Lord, even now as I stand up here today, I can sense my mind is a little more scattered than normal. Lord, I sense that I'm having a little bit harder time with concentration. And Lord, for many of us here in this room, we've, we've come from full weeks, even perhaps some of us full weekends where there's been a lot of things going on. And Lord, right now we want nothing more than to be in your presence. To kind of put all those things aside and to focus in on you. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to understand what this life is going to be like when we leave this one. Lord, there's fear and apprehension that many of us have. We kind of don't even want to think about it. But Lord, this is an important thing for each one of us. This, is a, this will be a meaningful day for so many of us. And God, we want to understand. And so would you just help us to see from Scripture what you have to say to us about what that experience will be like. Lord, please guide our thoughts this morning. Help us to take a step closer to you as we, just, as we dig into your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Let me share with you how it starts. It says, For we know... That when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we, leave, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. You know, earlier this summer we had a series called your best, sermon series called Your Best Vacation Ever, and we talked about vacations and how to take seasons of rest. And during that series, we actually looked at this very verse if you remember, we talked about the festival of shelters, remember, and how the people of ancient Israel, they all took a certain week of the year off to, to enjoy their families, to get away from work, and they all took the same week, and during that week, they would go off and live in tents somewhere. And that was a visual representation for them. God actually asked them to go and live in tents for that week when they were on vacation to remind themselves that this life is temporary and, it is, and our bodies are imperfect. This verse assures us, though, that when we throw off this temporary shelter, we're going to replace this body with something that's far more permanent and perfect. Notice how Paul describes what our bodies are like today in verse 2. It says, We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. You see, there's evidence in the Bible that this guy Paul, who is recording this, he suffered some pretty serious physical ailments in his life. And it's no surprise because when you read the account of his life in Scripture, what you find is that he endured a lot of suffering on behalf of the gospel and sharing his faith with others. He was tortured many, many times. 
He says here in this verse, he says, we grow weary in our present bodies. How many of you would say today that you grow weary in your present body? Some of you who are younger, like myself, you know, I, we're kind of in fairly good health and we don't really understand that. But I know there's a lot of people here in this room today and you totally get what he's saying, don't you? You're just looking forward to that day that you don't have to deal with this shell and all that comes with it any longer. I think you know what Paul's talking about. Imagine, guys, even if you, even if you haven't thought that before, imagine how awesome it's going to be one day to ditch these bodies. And to all the limitations and the problems, these bodies that are prone to aches and pains and sprains and cancers, I mean, you name it. One day, we're going to be able to ditch this sucker and get a new one. And I think that's pretty exciting to think about. One day, we will never have a problem again with our bodies. Paul says, these bodies make us groan and sigh, but we don't want to get rid of it yet. Why? Well, we kind of need it here while we're here, right? It's kind of important that we have it. But our lives don't stop one day when our bodies do. And that's the important thing. Paul says, hang on, one day we're going we're gonna to peel out of these bad boys so easily, it's going to be like changing into another set of clothes. That's how easy it's going to be. Sometimes we get a little apprehensive when we think about, what's it going to be like that day when we breathe our last? And Paul says, it's just like changing clothes. No big deal. We might feel a little bit apprehensive about that day when it finally does come. But verse 5 assures you and me that God will have us ready for that day. Look what verse 5 says. It says, God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his spirit. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, he says. And we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. I love how it says here that he's preparing us and he's given us his spirit as proof of that. You know, here's what I think to be true. Tell me if you would agree with this. In our younger years, we don't think about death all that much, do we? In fact, many of us in our younger years, we tended to tempt fate a little bit too much, right? Pushing ourselves and doing things we shouldn't do. But sooner or later, there comes a point where we mature a little bit. Sooner or later, there comes a point where that responsibility chip sets in. And maybe it's when you get married. Maybe for you it was when you had your first or your second kid and the light comes on and you start to realize, hey, this body isn't getting any younger. And one of these days, it's going to be all over. And for many of us, when we start to have that moment in our lives where we think about what death is going to be like, we get a little bit apprehensive, don't we? We get a little bit fearful and we dread that day. I've had many times in my life when I've just thought about what's it going to be like and just wishing I could somehow avoid it, that God would come back before I even have to deal with it, right? But then I've talked to people, and some of you even in this room, who are a little bit older than I am, and you've shared with me that your apprehension about death is really gone. You've gone through so much in this life and God's prepared you and you just kind of know that one day you're going to be able to leave this earth, you're going to breathe your last and it's going to be so easy and you're just actually, some of you have told me you're actually looking forward to that day. You know, some of you know that my, I call her my godmother, a lady by the name of Lula May that I have taken care of for a number of years. She went home to be with the Lord while I was on vacation. 76 years of age and uh, she walked with the Lord all of her life 
there came a point while I was on vacation when I got a phone call from the surgeons at the hospital. She was, she, they had brought her there and they had put her on life support. And they said, David, as power of attorney, you need to make a call. But I can tell you, she's not going to live without these machines. She has no quality of life left. And everything in me just broke. And I just I couldn't deal with that decision. I, I really struggled with it. And all these kinds of fears and apprehensions started rising up again in me. And I decided to give her, you know, I asked, the, I asked the, the doctors to pass the phone to her. And she could kind of whisper a little bit at that, in those final moments of her life. And you know what she told me? She said, David, pull the plug. <laughs> she said, I can't wait to leave this body and be with Jesus. She says, I am ready. Pull the plug. She had this assurance after all that she had been through in this life. She had this assurance that as soon as they, uh, we pulled that plug and her body stopped working, her earth suit finally stopped operating, that she was going to be in the presence of Jesus. And she was more excited about that day than I can possibly understand. Hebrews chapter 9 and Philippians chapter 1 also speak to this and give us some understanding. It's, death just means that your body, your earth suit, for lack of a better word, it just quits working and that, nothing more. So it's clear here from 2 Corinthians that when our physical bodies stop working here, that life's not over. But that leads to the question, what happens then? Once our bodies do stop working, what happens? I mean, some would say that our, earth, uh, that our bodies just kind of go to sleep or our soul goes to sleep. Some would say that we are caught, reincarnated into something else and we just, our life just starts all over again. Others would say that we end up in purgatory, which is kind of like this prison or this holding cell. And we've got to, have, we've got to hope and pray that other people on earth keep, can pray us out of there and eventually get us to heaven. To be honest with you, none of these sound very exciting to me. None of these options do. And thankfully, none of them are biblical concepts either. So what is? What does Scripture tell us about what life is like after we breathe our last breath here? Well, I find that there are three key, three important things that Scripture does talk about that I want to kind of unpack for you in just a couple of minutes here. And the first one is this. When we breathe our last breath here, Scripture says your soul leaves your body and it returns straight to God. Verse 8 here that we just read says this very clearly. To be absent from the body is to be present with God. Right? God formed our bodies. God formed the human body from the dust of the ground. And his breath breathed life into being. And when a person dies, the reverse takes place. The breath of life departs the body. And Ecclesiastes says that the spirit returns to the God who gave it. And our body, in essence, returns to dust. Our souls go to a place that I, for lack of a better term, call the intermediate heaven. Now, that's not a, a biblical term, but let me explain to you what it means. I call this, this, this experience that we have when we die the place that we go to an intermediate heaven because it's not permanent. What we actually see in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 is that even still, at the end of time, God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And we think that that place we're going is going to be great. Wait until that day comes when we experience this new heaven and new earth. It's Revelation, I, mean, I can't imagine John trying to, to write down what God was showing him and explaining what this is going to be like one of these days. 
But we, but we go, as soon as we die, to be with Jesus in heaven where he is. And what this just reminds me is that this place that we have become so comfortable with, the earth, it's not our home. It never has been, really. Here's the important thing I want some of you to walk away with today. If you know Jesus, there is not the slightest reason to be fearful or to dread what comes next. There isn't. If we were left without hope, if we were left with all these question marks about what would happen after we die, then yeah, there'd be a reason to be. But God in his wisdom has decided to make sure that we understand what life will be like. And we have no reason to fear. We have no reason to dread what comes next. Some have said to me, yeah, but Dave, what if I haven't done enough good stuff in my life when I die? What will happen with me? I mean, what, what if the scales are kind of tipped a little bit too much to the other side when it comes to me? Or what if I've, you know, for some have said, well, yeah, but what if I don't have, I have faith, but what if I don't have enough faith? What if I only have just a little bit of faith? And I mean, I know all these other people around me who have way more faith than I do. What if I don't have enough faith for God to allow me to be in, the, be in heaven? Let me just reassure you today. Number one, Romans very clearly explains that it's not about you. And it's not about your works. It says, by grace you are saved through faith. Not about, it's not about works. It's not about what you do or don't do. The things we do on this earth, we do them out of love for God and love for others. That's our motivation. It's not because we do them so that we can get our way into heaven. Scripture very clearly says that it's by faith that we get there. And here's the exciting part about it. Sometimes we think, well, how much faith do we need? Jesus, it comes to a point where Jesus explains, you need this much faith. Faith the size of a mustard seed. That's the example he used to explain to people what, how much faith we need. Sometimes we think, well, we need this much faith to be able to... No. We need just enough faith to love and to trust our Creator, our Lord, and to give our hearts to Him. That's all we need. And we can be assured that when we breathe our last breath here, we will be with Him. The Bible explains that those who don't know Jesus those who have never put their faith and trust in Christ in this life, that their experience would be different, yes. Death for them means leaving the body and going to a place of darkness, a place without God. For that reason, what happens to us when we die is based on what happens to us before we die. The decisions we make in this life, we will make a de- each one of us make a decision to either trust Christ or to reject Christ with our lives. That's up to us. God doesn't want to force himself upon us in this world or in the world to come. And if we choose to live apart from God, that's up to us. But that's not what God wants. We'll talk about this whole, whole concept of hell, which is a really hard and difficult one to get our hands around in a future week of this series. Many people who have had these near-death experiences, and thousands of them have now been recorded by people who study this sort of thing and try to see commonalities. Many of them say that people who have had these near-death experiences, that angels have issued them into heaven. And Luke 16, 22 describes the story of a beggar who is brought to heaven by angels as well. We also see in that story in Luke chapter 16 that after we die, that we are conscious and that we have thoughts and feelings that we have speech of some sort, we're able to communicate, and we have our memories. In fact, this passage I'm talking about is Luke 16, verses 19 to 31, and it gives us several clues about what life is like after we die. 
And it's important to note here how after death, people have vivid recollections of the details of their lives and they retain their memories, even in heaven. In heaven, we have emotions, we have feelings, we have a personality. The personality that some of you carry is really choice personalities. You're going to carry that with you into heaven. We're able to communicate with each other. We are conscious. We are understanding. We are aware of our past and present. We see all this from that Luke account and some others as well. You know, one story that I think is really fascinating is in Luke chapter 9. It's the story of the transfiguration. And in this story, Jesus was with his disciples and something really crazy and unexplainable happens. These two guys, Moses and Elijah, show up. Now, granted, if you've read your Bibles, you know that Moses and Elijah had died hundreds, if not thousands of years before this. And, you know, when you read this story, you see that these disciples are scurrying around and they're like, what the heck is going on? How could Moses and Elijah be here? And they don't know what to do. And they look at Jesus and say, Jesus, should we... Should we pitch a tent for them? Should we build a tent for them to live in? Or what, what do we do here? They're just kind of beside themselves and trying to understand what's going on. But what I find that's interesting about this story is the fact that they knew who they were in the first place. I mean, how did they know who Moses, Moses and Elijah were when they had been dead for so long? It just goes to show me that one of these days when we're in heaven, we're not going to need name tags in heaven. We're not going to be forgetful or absent-minded as we are here. And we're not going to be these mindless, wispy spirits just kind of hanging out in heaven, aimlessly floating around like you hear about in ghost stories where people are just kind of stuck in a place where they died and they seem to have no existence beyond just kind of being there. The Bible says that our soul, when we die, will forever be with God. Now, your body will be another matter. Which is the last thing I want to share with you about what life will be like after you die. The third thing is this. Our bodies are lifeless until a future day when Christ restores them and reunites our souls with an upgraded, improved body. Regardless of what your body looks like when you're gone, there will come a day when God will make it new again. He's going to upgrade it. (laughs) It will no longer be imperfect. You know, our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised one day in glory. Our bodies will be decaying or cremated at some point, but one day God will turn them into something that is indestructible. They will ne- our bodies will be resurrected and they will no longer feel any pain. They will no longer wear out. They'll no longer grow old. They'll no longer get sick. They'll no longer decay. They'll no longer die. You know, sometimes I've I've had some people ask me about cremation, and there's this concern about, well, maybe I shouldn't get cremated because God is supposed to resurrect our bodies in the last day and turn them into glorified bodies, and I won't have anything left if I'm just ashes everywhere. And in in some of those situations, I've just looked at those who have shared that with me and just said, isn't God still God? I mean, if God can raise the dead, God can raise the dead, right? If God can take a decaying corpse in a casket and bring new life to it and make it indestructible, I think he can gather some ashes around and put you back together and make you indestructible as well. There's going to come a day when God takes the remains of those who are lost at sea and creates a resurrected body from it. How? I have no idea. He's going to take those bodies that were blown up in explosions and he is going to create a new resurrected body from those as well. I look forward to seeing how all that comes about. I don't get it, don't understand it, don't need to. 
But I look forward to it. Don't you? In closing, I just have to say this. I've become convinced that many people today have the wrong view of death. We think that we live in, we're in the land of the living going to the land of the dying. When in reality, we're in the land of the dying going to the land of the living. That's good preaching. I should, you just should be more amens than that. But it's true. In his book, The Real Heaven, what the Bible actually says, Pastor Chip Ingram says this. He says, from the earthly side, we feel the sting of death. We see an ashen corpse and a sterile casket. We emotionally experience loss and sorrow. But if we could see this experience from the heavenly side, we would see quite a different scene. We would see a spirit that's more alive than it's ever been. We, won't, we would emotionally experience the joy and gladness of someone who has come home. Amen. You remember Dr. Neal, who I was sharing about the, her story a, a few minutes ago, who had drowned in Chile? She said this recently. She said, I've had many, many people approach me over the years and say, oh boy, I, I heard about that kayak accident. That must have been the most horrible thing ever. But in fact, she says, it's the greatest gift I've ever received. There's so much about her testimony I would love for you to hear, to see. In fact, in your online sermon notes today at gracetucson.org slash Bible, I've included a one-hour interview that she gave with a pastor as she tried to unpack her experience of her death and how she had this 30 minutes in heaven and how she came back to life and how, from a doctor's perspective, she's trying her best to be so careful to follow... to. Because she's got this scriptural backing and she tends to say, I, I, just, I just don't know about this experience. But yet when you hear her describe what she saw and what she felt, it just will fill you with excitement. I want to encourage you to watch that video when you get home today by going to that website. But in the meantime, let me just give you a teaser by giving you just a little clip of what she has to say in that interview. Take a look at this. I grew up in the water. I grew up swimming, boating, doing everything in the water. And I love the water still. But I'd always, always feared a drowning death. Really? So the irony was not lost on me wow. that I was drowning. And I always thought that would be a terribly frightening way to die. But at no point did I ever have fear. I never felt air hunger. I never felt panic. Mm. I'm a spine surgeon. I certainly tried to do those things that would free me or free the boat. But I felt great. I felt more alive than I've ever felt. All right, so let's go back to when Jesus was holding you. You're underwater. You're aware of his presence. Did you see him? During that particular experience, I was being held, so I wasn't looking at him. During a subsequent experience, I did see him. I was looking at him, having a conversation. That was when you were in the hospital later and yes. then kind of had another episode like that? Right. And what did you look like? Everybody wants to know. Everybody asks. I know. And my answer is very clear, even though it's nonsensical. And I would say that he looked like bottomless kindness and compassion. And those are not words that make sense because mm. those aren't words that we use visually. But that is what he looked like. And so the idea of being afraid never would have crossed my mind. It was 
um, so peaceful. I mean, so wonderful, so peaceful. I could have stayed there forever. People have sometimes said, well, well, you weren't, you weren't really in heaven. And my attitude is, okay. <laughs> I'll take I, it. <laughs> I, what, wherever I was and whatever that situation was, I'll take it. And I think one of the things that does is make me feel a great pressure to make every moment count during my lifetime. Really? Why is that? Because we think about our lifetime as so long. But in reality, mm. you know, it's a blink of time. Yeah. And the reality is that we are here for a reason. We are here to learn and grow and change and help others do the same. And we don't have much time to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, we need scripture to be, says make the most of every opportunity for the days we, are evil. Absolutely. We need to be about God's business yeah. every moment of every day. One of the things that changed for me very dramatically is, and I believe it can change anyone's life, is that if you accept that there is life after death, and then even more so if you accept the rest of God's promises, but if all you do is accept that there really is continued existence after death, it changes the way you see today. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, every day matters, every moment matters, every choice, every decision, it matters. I. Guys, death is not the end of the road. It is just a bend in it. Our lives don't stop when our bodies do. Yes, what, where we go after we die and the, what we experience after we die is in part based on the decisions we make before we die. But death for the believer is just a doorway into something far more beautiful than we can ever explain. Let me ask you this morning, what's your view of death, Ben? When you think about it, do you get nervous and apprehensive? Does that fear or that dread kind of, you, do you kind of feel it in the pit of your stomach? at times, and does it make you uncomfortable? Is it something that you tend to want to push away and not think about because it seems too awful to imagine? It's my prayer today for you, if that's the case, that you'll walk out of here feeling very, very differently. That you'll walk out of here realizing that death isn't something to be dreaded. Death isn't something to hope stays away as long as possible. Death will be an entryway into the most amazing experience of our lives. An experience where all the pains and the problems of this world in an instant will be gone. Never to return. This morning, it's my prayer that when you think of heaven, that you will be filled with anticipation and excitement. That may, may you no longer have these feelings of fear and dread about what's to come. From now on, when you wake up in the morning, I pray that you find yourself thinking, one day I'm going to experience something that's even more real than this. And this morning, I am one day closer to being home, really home. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this chance this morning to dig into your word and to start to understand what heaven is like. 
Lord, some of us we're, who are in this room today or, or are listening online, we just we think about heaven, we think about that day, and we, are, we truly are filled with excitement and anticipation. We can't wait to see what you have in store for us. We can't wait to be reunited with those that we love, that we miss so, so much. Lord, even today for many of us, the pains of separation, temporary separation from those that we love, it's just hard. And Lord, we so look forward to that day. Lord, would you give us the patience to walk this walk as long as you have us here and to learn what you want us to learn here, particularly to learn to love you and to learn to love others more effectively. And Lord, for those of us who are apprehensive, those of us who are nervous about what's going to happen one day, Lord, I just pray that you would just give us a sense of peace, a sense of assurance, and even more so a sense of excitement. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me just say to you, some of you this morning, maybe, maybe you came here today and you're here because you, know, you found out a, a relative or a friend is getting baptized and you want to be here to support them. Or maybe you just kind of decided last week, hey, I'm going to hop on Google and I'm going to find a place to go to church. And for whatever reason, you found yourself here today. Let me just say to you today, I don't believe that you're here by accident. God intended that you be here today. And maybe you've never said yes to God. Maybe you've never surrendered your heart and life to God. And God just keeps finding these ways in your life to kind of hem you in and and to bring this reality face to face before you. This morning I want to ask you, what's holding you back from saying yes to Christ? From surrendering your heart and life to the one who loves you more than any being will ever love you in all of eternity? The one who created you, the one who formed you with such care. And the one who has created this life, created this experience for you so that you could come to know to love him. If that's you today and, and you've never said yes to God and you just feel like today might be that day. Or maybe you did years ago and you have just kind of walked away from faith because you just kind of done your own thing for the last several years. I just want to encourage you today. Make that step today. Just pray this prayer with me in the silence of your heart, and allow God to start working in your heart and life. Heavenly Father, we, each one of us, we come to you today and we confess that we need you. And we are so grateful that you have given us life, that you've given us this short, short window on this earth to experience what you want us to experience. Lord, in the, in the context of reality, as Dr. Neal said, this time that we have on earth is like the snap of a finger. It is so, so short. But Lord, help us to come to understand this depth of love that you have for us in the time that we're here. Lord, I come to you today and I confess that not only do I need you, Lord, but I ask that you would come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. Remove them as far away from me as the east is from the west, as the Bible says. And Lord, I thank you that you say that when I ask for this forgiveness, that you don't even remember them anymore. Lord, I ask that you would fill me with your spirit and that you would begin to change me from the inside out. Lord, help me every day to surrender more of my own will, my own desires to yours. Help me to live a life for others that brings you glory until I am with you in glory. In Jesus' name, amen.